Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. Today we're discussing an article titled Between Easter and the End by Jill Caratani, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. It was posted by Amy in the in our uh, private Facebook group in relation to episode 119, where we had another conversation with Anna. If I'm recalling that conversation correctly, Anna was talking about how the, you know, the, this world is not such a great place. And I think maybe you and her kind of got into some type of back and forth. And so Amy was posting this article in kind of the context of that to, mm. I think... If I'm looking at here, the, the this idea of the already and not yet that that and this a lot of this was covered. In fact, there's a there's a footnote to it to N.T. Wright's book "Surprised by Hope" uh, in mm. this article, which I read and talked about a little bit some time ago. Uh, and and his th- that book is all about the same idea, which is that. <laughs> The good stuff has already happened, but it's not being fully realized. And and that's kind of the idea. The good stuff, I guess, being the, well, N.T. Wright would say the kingdom of God, the initiation of the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Um, other people would say, well, Jesus died on the cross. And so that started and kicked off a whole bunch of stuff. And so people were kicking this article around in the group. I think some people really liked it and and found um found it helpful i did not <laughs> and and so i was trying to engage with it so i was trying to really give it an honest uh look so i had skimmed through it a couple times and i was just like ugh, i'm just seeing these very familiar it just felt like a i don't know if the article was not if it was that the article was not well written or that it was just in my skimming i just came across a lot of kind of what I felt was kind of Christian mumbo jumbo Mm -hmm. and that was kind of hard for me to just engage with and so I skimmed it a few times and I was just like okay this isn't doing anything for me so I asked I said can someone tell me can someone summarize this article for me so I can at least like try to read it through the lens of the people that are like finding something here because I'm not seeing really anything and so Lynette did a really great job of just summarizing what she saw in it and and so she kind of characterizes it being an encouragement to christians you know that that feel that things are not moving fast enough in terms of uh their transformation and uh them becoming i guess more christ-like and and so that was kind of I was like, okay. So then I made a then I made a public commitment that I would print the article off because I I find there's sometimes there's something different about having a piece of paper. And mm-hmm. I got out my colored pens and I printed it off and I, I nice. said, well, I committed that I'd re- that I'd read it and that you and I would talk about it or that I would like try to get more in touch with like what was going on for me with this article. So I've done that. Awesome. So where we go and how we talk about it, I'm not quite sure. Um, I want to be respectful of the fact that 
like Amy liked this. Amy found this article helpful, though she did kind of qualify it by saying that she thought the ending could have been stronger. Mm-hmm. I looked at this article and I didn't. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I wanted to. I, I maybe almost at a meta level, I wanted to kind of play around with. It. Maybe you could help me. This, like, why, why I couldn't connect with this article, and I think maybe this ties in also a little bit with our last conversation of me started feeling like a poser, kind of like as as I sat down to look at this, I just thought, am I just phoning this in? Do I even care? Like, I, <laughs> I and in some ways I'm looking at this and I'm just not, and it's just thinking, okay. So we're going to do a podcast on this. Do I have to like pretend to be interested in this topic to talk about it so that we can have a podcast? I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. So it's been a few weeks. This thing's been sitting on my desk with all my little highlights and underlines. And I don't know. I thought we, I thought we could give it a pass here. So how am I doing so far here? What do you have any thoughts? Can you, do you have a sense of like maybe focusing us in a particular direction or I have loads of questions. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I have questions like, what is it that really bothers you about the article? What, why, do you, why don't you think that you're engaged with it at all? Um, you know, because on the one hand, I do think you're really engaged. Maybe not in a happy way or a positive way, but... I guess I, I, guess I read this article as, you know, there's a lot of... Um, globalization in the article. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so a lot of, like, we feel this way... Uh, this mm-hmm. happens to us, um, ours, we, us, and yes, and so I thought, well, that's not me. So I don't, mm-hmm. I don't. I, I guess my overall take on the article was the article could have been a lot stronger. Maybe if the author had had talked about this in first person. Here's my experience, and here's how I have, here's mm-hmm. how I'm experiencing and, and putting life together, and. And here's mm-hmm. how I'm making sense of it or, or finding hope. But it just felt very abstract. So, like, like well, the one, the, the biggest thing that jumped out at me was, um, so the setup of the article is, is this clock, um, in a particular, I guess it's at Cambridge, that, that kind of marks the passing of time. Mm-hmm. And so it's this whole idea that time is that time is is moving on whether we like it or not, and for a lot of people it's not moving fast enough. So then she says, "Why then? I wonder. Are there moments when time seems so oppressive? The hope of eternity, a distant glimmer, and the presence of a resurrected Christ beside the daily pendulum, an inapplicable promise." The Christian life is about moving closer and closer to the glory of the resurrected Christ. Why is there not more light and less darkness, a more vibrant church and less grumbling, greater outreach and less greed, followers who look more like Jesus and less like the world around them? And, well, first, the, the Christian mum, the mumbo-jumbo, which is the Christian life is about cl- moving closer and closer to the glory of the resurrected Christ. I have absolutely no idea what that means. I have, mm-hmm. like... I have I have no idea what it means. I can't relate to it at all. I just I'm puzzled. <laughs> yeah. Um and then this idea that like things are just not moving fast enough and time is oppressive. I don't really I I don't relate to that at all either. I mean, yeah, sometimes I wish life would I mean, I'm going through kind of a transition right now myself and I yeah, I I wish it went faster, but it doesn't. It's just kind of 
that's just kind of the way it is. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't look at this, this situation as like, well, you know, if God would just make it all better and when he does make it all better, then things will be fine. Cause I don't have any expectation that he's going to. Right. And it seems, I think that whole piece about expectation is pretty key in this article and, and generally for Christians, you know, for people in general, but definitely when you're talking about Christianity, one of the things, I don't know if this was your experience at Labrie, but it certainly was mine, that my expectations were questioned. Are these valid expectations? Where do they come from? What do they imply? What have you built on them? Yeah, and maybe that was kind of the first signs of just feeling disconnected from this whole, yeah, just thinking, okay, well, yeah, I'm not looking at my life through the lens of, wow, why won't God transform me? Or when will God transform me? I'm not really thinking about that at all. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. oh no, what does that say about me? Is that, you know, I'm, is that some huge blind spot? And, you know, if I could just get in touch with, that I really just needed to be transformed by God, that then all the pieces would fall into place and. Your transformation needs. Yeah, I guess. I mean, but I, but I don't feel like I'm making this up. I think this is a very, very common idea. And I think my hunches, a lot of people listening be like, oh, you, well, of course you do. That's your biggest problem right there. But I don't see it. I don't, I don't see that. So now what? Well, again, yeah. My interjection. I'm testing your patience. <laughs> no, no, you're not. You're not. You're, 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 you're hitting off on the same things that I find difficult. But I think the, the, the big issue that I have is that many of these intangibles should not be intangible. So when you say, when someone as a Christian says, I believe I should be more Christ-like, I should be able to ask the question, and what would that look like? What does that entail? And that person should fairly immediately, without panic and without confusion, be able to tell me exactly what they're looking for. Because if you can't, you haven't got a clue. In other words, it might be happening already. How would you know? Because you don't know what you're looking for. And I think Except it, that you're trying to be more Christ-like, but... What, is, but what that, does that mean? Again, we're still in a we're in an interpretive quandary. We don't know how to interpret that. And here I'm going to back up and, of course, come right around to one of my other big, big issues, which is this has to be related to what it means to live in the real world as real human beings. So, again, it's this whole piece about integration. We haven't, as a church, as a group... We haven't done the work, right? Either we haven't been taught, we haven't thought about the importance of formulation, we haven't had examples set about how to integrate Christian faith and belief with real life and existence in the real world. But I think that, but my sense is that people think that they are. So if I keep yeah, reading I the rest of this, right. if I read the rest of this paragraph, it says the expectation in the life of a Christian is that there will be a dramatic difference, or at least a steady progression, of lives transformed by Christ. But instead, we often find little difference, or we find the opposite of progression. Only last week I turned to a friend and asked with a sigh of weariness, where is transformation as all this time marches onward? And again, I don't I don't relate to that at all. I, I I feel like my life is moving forward. I do see improvement. I, yeah, you know, maybe I'm in a special season where there's lots of that going on. It's not easy. It's well, definitely this, not easy. There's 
you know, I do my whole little get up early routine and some days I just sit and thrash and make no progress. And I think, oh my gosh, it's been a month. I should have made at least a little more progress than this. <laughs> but I'm not sitting here be just like, oh, the toil of time. And it's just like, it's how the process works. Like, yes. The thrashing, you have to do the thrashing. So I'm thrashing. I'm not sitting here just like, well, if Jesus would just transform my situation, then and then I've then why hasn't Jesus transformed my situation yet? I don't know. I just got to do some work. <laughs> yeah. But again, I, think... I have no expectation that Jesus is transforming anything. Right. And maybe I'm the wrong audience for this article. I don't know. Well, I, I kind of think I'm not. not. I would hope not. Oh. Right. <laughs> I'd hope you're not the wrong audience because I would think that something like this would be applicable to anyone who is open to Christianity. Okay, yeah, Anyone's... and I would say I would I would I'd say okay, I'm open to it. Yeah. But I as we know, I'm I haven't figured it out. It doesn't make it doesn't make a lot of sense to me a lot of times. Well, I think I think we're still in this. I mean, you you made this really clear point that most people um do think they're integrating well. They think they're integrating well by prioritizing the Bible over everything else. So Bible and belief comes over life and existence. Well, that doesn't reasonably make sense. Like you, you can't live that way. You know, you can't say, you know, God is bringing all things together for good. The only way you can do that is to say, I don't have a clue about what this is, what the good is in this. I'll have to wait until, you know, my life is over and, and then God may or may, not, may, not, may or may not let me know, but I'm just kind of going to leave that in limbo. Whereas there may be critiques that we can have of ourselves, of situations, even in terms of our ability to judge God. And we have to be very, very, very clear here. We are judging our interpretations of who God is. And you know what? When you've got five people in the room and they see God five different ways, not everybody can be right. I mean, I know that really sucks. But not everybody can have as good a view as anybody, as everybody else. You know, and that, there's that whole analogy of, oh, there's the elephant and one person's touching the trunk and one person's <laughs> touching the leg and one like person's that. touching the tail. Well, no, because we are people who live in time and through time. And if we are applying ourselves, just like you just said, this whole thrashing thing or the, I would say it's rigor and attention you know, there are other things. It's more than just rigor and attention. There's enjoyment and pleasure and reveling. But there's at least this rigor and this thrashing, if you like. You're going to make your way around the elephant. And if you have a good sense of what you're doing, if you're connected with people who can teach you well, if you are in a community with a good tradition, I would say of a good tradition of integrating life and faith, faith and life, you will get a good sense of what that elephant's like. Better than somebody who's just started and better than somebody whose expectation is I just stand here and wait. I'll hold my hands out. Yeah. You, well, you're touching the same knee to use that analogy further that you've been touching for the past five or 10 years. No wonder you're not getting a better picture. No wonder you've got an expectation that's probably going off to the sideways. And I think, yeah, I just find this, this whole piece so frustrating. I do find my life is getting better. You know, as a, as a Christian, in, in, in terms of how I interact with my family, I mean, my spouse and I have just come back from a trip to India and Nepal. And on our way back, we made some choices. I realized that my 15-year-old daughter is going to be leaving home soon. 
And I have worked so long and so hard to try, mostly to try behind the scenes as a, uh, as a, it's more than a hobby, but it's almost a second job trying to um, take my graduate thesis and through the blogging that I do, through the podcasting we do, through the discussion groups at church that I'm doing, trying to really uh, enflesh this to promote this, to try to see, you know, does this, can this have an impact on people? Can this be helpful? And I've realized, you know, to a certain degree, it's it, on the analogy of a card game, like a game of partnered cards like bridge or euchre or something. I've been playing most of God's tricks for God. I mean, I, I still go to God once in a while and say, hey, come on, pony up. I need, to, <laughs> I need you to take a trick here. But, but you know, I, I take two, I don't know how you'll know, how long ago it was, we had Tommy on the podcast and one of the challenges she levied to me, which I think was one of the best challenges, I would probably say it is the best challenge that I've had from a listener, um, you know, aside from you, is, um, so from listeners, not from you, um, is uh, to really live into the fact that my relationship with God is one where I experience and embrace and and embrace by this this enough and this more that god is so if god is more i don't have to struggle quite so much right i can i can kind of let some of this stuff go i can put the brakes on a little bit with some of the other like i've done my thrashing i've done maybe done more thrashing than i need to and here i've got my daughter about to you know leave home in the next couple of years and i just thought you know forget it let's just change this around let's get some set meal times which we haven't had in our family let's get some uh, you know, when exactly am I working? Let's cut back my days, my extra, I mean, I'm down to two nights a week where I work uh, late instead of three nights a week. It's making all the difference. You know, but I see all these things as progressive, integrated uh, uh, developments towards me being a person who loves life, who likes himself, who is able to love other people. But I'm seeing all of this in the context of God loving me and me loving God in return. And I think once you've got some of these pieces straight, if they've got them crooked or misaligned, you're constantly going to be misfiring. And I mean, even in a much bigger way than my, you know, I'm taking too many tricks for God. I think that's misfiring, but I think there are much bigger ways too, because you can have really wrongheaded ex ex expectations, you know, something's going wrong at work and this is God trying to teach you something. No, maybe this is just your boss is a butthead and you need to get out. You know, so there's no ability when you don't have that ability to see the world as acting upon your Christian beliefs, as opposed to everywhere, everything is God. If everywhere, everything is God, then everywhere, everything is good. But God doesn't put that out. Not everything in this world is good. You know, we're taught to pray in a certain way. And one of those key lines is, you, you know, your, your, your kingdom come on earth as it, as it is in heaven, right? Your will be done, rather, pardon me, on earth as it is in heaven, it's not being done here. It's simply not. And so there are so many situations where we as Christians have to look and say, is this God? I mean, I'm surely I could, I could learn something from this, but, but maybe there's an end to the learning. Maybe I could learn patience. Well, maybe I've learned enough patience and now it's time for me to learn or for me to act for the good of myself, the good of my family, change jobs, move to a different situation, you know, speak back against some of this, whatever I'm experiencing in my church that seems to be you know, wrong, and I'll just learn obedience. Well, obedience to what? Obedience is only valuable when obeying is right. 
Otherwise, it's, it's, um, it's credulity and cowardice. So we really, I think we've got to be so much more careful than we are. So are you, are you saying then that the, he said, I can't remember exactly how he said it, but so this article would be an example of something that, that maybe is pushing in the wrong direction? Well, like you said, you see your life improving. I certainly see my life improving. And I, I, would, I, I can connect those to God. You know, so this whole time I had in India and Nepal, we had a lot of people praying for us. We were very, very specific with our church about what we were hoping to achieve out of this. And one of the major things that we brought back with ourselves, that we brought back with us was we need to change how we're using our time, how we're using our time when we're not with our children, how we're using our time with our children, how we're using our time together. And I can tell you that everyone in my family even in the first week of doing this, is much more content. Hmm. I relate that directly to our prayers and our own thoughtfulness and attention to this. I didn't just sort of pray and sort of fire and forget, you know, here you go, God, this is yours, you deal with this. No, 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 no. I, I brought this up on our flights on the way back and my, my spouse carried this on uh, with me as a conversation and developed this. And between the two of us, through our focused attention and interest in this matter, We've made some really great decisions, but I don't think those decisions are just down to the two of us. I think God is involved here. And I see that as a great improvement. So in this person, I agree with you, that whole globalizing, this person's globalizing a situation to Christians. On, and on the one hand, um, you know, if, if you're not seeing your life improve as a Christian over, well, you know, I don't know, what's six to 12 months, well, m- maybe you need to take a step back and just look again, or maybe you need to be patient. If you're not seeing your life improve over two to four years, there's a problem. It's not that time is moving slowly or that, that God's taking God's time. There's probably something going on. And maybe you need to ask yourself some hard questions. Maybe you need to make some difficult choices. Uh, that's interesting. So are you then, because hmm. I hadn't really seen that in this article, but I wonder if there is the idea in this article that time is marching on it's, you know, things aren't so great. But then there, there's also an element of hope in here that I want to get to in a second. But there isn't anything, what's interesting, when you talk about being intentional and making conscious decisions and taking certain actions, there isn't mm-hmm. any, what's interesting is there is nothing in this article that even talks about anything. No. That is interesting. Yeah, it's no. it's, it's all focused on basically... Well, it doesn't, it doesn't comment on it at all. So I don't know what the author's orientation is on that. But yeah, there's nothing here about acting. There's, it's all about being, it's all about basically transform, being transformed by God, not happening fast enough. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, Which I mean, the, it's kind of the point of the article. There's this picture of this clock and, um, but it, well, yeah, but it, but the the last the second no, actually the last paragraph. So this is the last paragraph, mm-hmm. um, and in the paragraph before, and this I guess is kind of the hope aspect, which again I don't relate to at all, and I I know a lot of people find encouragement in this, and so I'm not discounting that for a second. I'm just saying that it doesn't do anything for me. But it's mm-hmm. this idea that there's encouragement because Jesus died on the cross, and because. Uh, the, the kingdom of God has been kicked off and that there's hope in that, that there's, there's encouragement today that 
because those things have happened that I'm better now. And that just feels to me like a Christian magic trick. But it Yeah. It but I don't well, know this, what to do with it. And, and so I guess I'm critical I'm critical of it in the sense that I can't relate to it at all and it doesn't do anything for me. But I also at the same time want to say that there are people that I know and respect that do find a lot of comfort and hope for that. And it just, I don't, I don't know. I, I can't make that connection. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, this is part of the discussion that I was trying to have on the Facebook group about this article that this article, not only to my mind, confuses the distinction between the forensic legal part and the experiential personal part. It just totally wipes out the experiential personal part. So somehow, because, so, so the forensic is the legal piece. It's like something needed to happen uh, at God's level for God to be able to, what? To engage with us rightly. Right now, uh, my, my wonder here, and I'm going to just search this article right now for a word that I think should be here, but it isn't. Yes, it's not. Covenant. Right? That's the piece. That's the piece that happened. So Jesus, in living and dying, fulfilled the covenant, lived as Israel should have lived, bore the punishments or consequences, if you like, consequences really, of failing to keep the, the covenant that Israel should have borne. And in and through that, enabled, made, made fertile and uh, available the promise made to Abraham that through Abraham's seed, all nations, all peoples, all human beings would be blessed. But the issue that I see is this focuses, this whole article and this whole way of thinking, there's an entire way of thinking within the church that prioritizes the legal and forensic. And it not only prioritizes, it says, it's almost like it says, because this is made possible, you should have this emotional response. And you should act this way. Which, as we know, pushes all kinds of buttons for me. <laughs> well, and I think rightly so. It should push people's buttons. It should make people say, whoa, 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 whoa. It's like the idea that, that saying, you know, Jesus died for you should make you um, love Jesus. No, it shouldn't. If somebody took my place, if somebody, if I'm in front of a, of a, of a rushing vehicle somehow that I, I've, I've stumbled into the road or I'm in grave danger and someone shoves me out of the way and actually dies, literally does what Christ did, and not in its... its global sense but in its specific sense for me will i love that person i don't think so i don't think that's enough to prompt love but i will certainly have some very powerful responses and i think that is what should happen we should have some very powerful responses one of them might be gratitude the other one is certainly curiosity right at the moment it's going to feel like much more than curiosity but once it kind of settles be like well how did this all happen why did the person do that who is this person? I feel like I owe them such, again, that's gratitude, right? That huge sense of owing a debt, you know, or maybe of not being able to deal with a gift. I've been gifted with something at the cost, at the supreme cost of someone's life. But when we mix up and or efface the personal with the legal so the, or the specific with the general, we are taking one way of seeing things and we are making it global. And that is just wrong. Well, I want to get back to this last paragraph of the article. And I wonder if this kind of summarizes that. So, so it, 
in the previous paragraph, she refers to N.T. Wright's book, Surprised by Hope. Hmm. I would recommend that book with kind of mixed reservations. <laughs> Some of it I thought was really, really clear. Other parts muddled and, and hard to understand. Hmm. I think she's kind of captured the idea of this intermediate hope, kind of, but I would recommend reading that book instead. <laughs> but anyway, so that ties in this last paragraph, which is, and this is quote I'm quoting now, that is to say, Easter is being implemented. Whether we make our bed in the depths, whether we fall repeatedly or seem to be moving backward, God is both near and at work. The reality of the resurrection working its way into every ticking moment. In the experience of time before us is the radical promise of both the intermediate hope of transformation and the gift of the looking and the gift of looking glory full in the face. I have no idea what those last two sentences mean. By the power of the Spirit, God takes the most wretched of creatures and changes it into the likeness of Christ. Again, I don't know what that means. The most beautiful creature. Whether time is flying or standing still, for the worst of us, even menacing grasshopper types, this is indeed very good news. What is the good news? Like things are getting... uh, See, it's still that legal forensic piece. Which is what? Like, so what is the point? Can you summarize her? It seems that the point here is that things are getting better based in mumbo jumbo, mumbo jumbo. God takes wretched people like us and turns us into the likeness of Christ, mumbo jumbo. And that's the most beautiful creature. And then whether time feels like it's standing still or not, this is good news. Yeah. I just don't get it. Well, I think this is you see this is the this is a really interesting an interesting parallel here because it's basically saying yeah, she, her second sentence there part of it God is both near and at work um every I'm just skipping some words like leaving them out every ticking minute. And I think you know you you may not be able to see it. You may not be able to experience it, but God's working and changing you. And my thought is, yes, sometimes God is changing me and I don't know it. But no, many times I am in process of being changed or developing and I do know it. I am and should be able to reflect on it. If people are going through their, it's like some guy who says, listen, I'm totally addicted to pornography, but that's okay because God's changing me. Okay. And how's that going with pornography? Oh, I'm totally addicted. So how successful is God at changing you? Well, God's just, because God's God, because, you know, nothing can get in the way of Jesus' love for me, God's changing me. Well, on a, on a legal forensic level, well, first of all, I don't think that works on either level. I think that's, that's just bunk. It's complete bunk. So in, in that particular type of situation, someone who has a pornography addiction, the, 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 the result and the uh, indication that God is at work is that you no longer have that addiction. That's just point blank, right? Does that take place to, to overnight? No, probably not. Does it take place over the course of a month or a year? It depends on how, how difficult things are. It depends on how long it's been going, right? But should you be able to notice significant change that you can see and tell? Yes. Is that going to be down to God in some magical, mystical way? I cannot imagine that. I have never heard of such a thing. So it's going to require a lot of work on, on, you, on your part, whoever you are. But it's also going to be relying on God. 
and having some 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 t- taking some time to understand what's going on here like you know this is all part of a process in this particular example of getting to know yourself but i think the thing that really troubles me here is we've got this god is at work every ticking moment essentially whether i know it or not god is taking the most wretched creature and changing it into the likeness of christ well you know what that's a visible thing that's discernible and if i can't see it that's about the same as the argument that god is good and God loves me when I've got nothing to base that on but the Bible's, in, Bible's testimony. That's not enough. And, God is, and the Bible itself is extraordinarily clear that there has never been the presupposition or the intention that the biblical text alone is sufficient witness. And I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about, you know, Jesus is the Logos. We don't have to go into these kind of theological particularities. Not that they're not important but they do not take the place of lived experience. That cannot be so. And the text itself points us in that direction. And this is again me coming back and hammering on this whole integrationist piece. If biblical, if the biblical text and if Christian belief do not make sense, if they don't pan out in certain ways, you know, I'm not expecting God to show up at my house and knock on my door and tell me how much he loves me and throw his arms around me. I'm not expecting God to do something miraculous and I don't know, Lift my car as I'm driving and we'll have a, a conversation in the air. And uh, I, you know, I'm just I'm t- I'm trying to think of ridiculous things that I can use as examples. And I'm, I'm not finding too many. But my expectations are that there is a, an embedded reality to my existence in this world, in life itself, in the earth, in the people around me, in the tangible. And yet this is shot through and interwoven with pointers, indicators, sometimes blatant calls, but oftentimes very subtle, if perceptible at all, manifestations of something more. And how we work this out, how we formulate this so that we as Christians can have expectations that are both geared to living in the real world and expectant of things that we may see hardly at all, or that we see in our communities because testimony is a huge deal. So my life and the things I've lived bear on those who have heard my story. The people literally who have heard my story and who know enough about me to think there might be some integrity behind my words will be called upon, I think, when they meet God and they say, I don't think you existed. You didn't give me enough information. I think one of the questions will be, what did you do with Greg's story? And, and vice versa. There's a, there's, a, there's a responsibility on me. Greg, I gave you something. Why didn't you share it? Did you think it was just for you? And I think, I think you're 100% right, John, in finding this to be strange and abstruse and just inapplicable because we're trying to take the theoretical And we're trying to say, based on that, feel comforted. No, based on that, know and understand because it's theory, right? It should be informing our minds to say, ah, there are possibilities here. Now, how do I go about trying to perceive them and assess them? That to me is the issue. That to me is how we should be approaching this. So I I think there's value in this article, but what it's trying to do is it's trying to move from theory and say that it should have an effect on practice and application. No, it should inform us so that we may 
thereby maybe be aware that certain types of applications and, and uh, existential kind of realities are possible and that we can begin to try to observe those. And then when we think we've observed them, or we think that's an example of them, assess them. How does that pan out? Right? Is the, the truth claims and the truth value piece. I know that I know that's a lot to <laughs> put in, but I just I, I, I completely agree with you. I, I completely agree with you. That this doesn't it doesn't make sense. And I think this is this is a classic. This is not some author. This Jill uh, Caratini is not simply some author uh, who who or, or as a Christian has has kind of flipped things around and, and, and is is kind of trying to use the theoretical to impact the practical and making a mistake. I think this is something that happens in our churches all the time. Well, and maybe that's why this felt so familiar. Like yes. It, or maybe why, again, I skimmed it and I was like, I cannot engage with this. And I don't know why. It just feels like this just feel like a wall of words. And yep. it's just not, I, I'm just, yeah, I was like, I couldn't access it. Huh. Well, and I think this this also goes back, and I would love to have some response, see what the responses are from the folks in the Facebook group, because one of those key propositions, if you like, the key truth claims of the Bible is, God loves me. And God, you know, we've got, we've talked about this a lot in some very early podcasts, but um, this notion that God commands me to love God. Well, of course, you can't command love. And, and as, as, a, as, a, as a church, I mean, this is just one of the most astoundingly ludicrous things that the church has not spent a good amount of time trying to formulate, well, just how does this work? You can't command love. Love by its nature is a gift. You know, um, Jean-Luc Marion in his Phenomenology of the Gift would be a great source for Christians in their struggles, because they should be struggling with this, right? I'm commanded to love. How can I be commanded to love? How can you command a gift? A gift ceases to be a gift once demanded, extorted, etc. Assumed. It's not a gift. If it's extorted, it's a bribe. If it's, if, it's, if it's required in a business transaction, it's payment. You know, but it's not a gift. And so this, this whole piece about loving God and being loved by God and how, what this looks like in our churches, you know, and I think Lynette's done a, she, she's, she's, she's ventured some, uh, she's, come, she's come back against uh, my points about obedience and gratitude. Um, and I, you know, haven't had the time yet to, um, because I think this is a huge, huge, huge piece to reply to that. But, you know, in essence, obedience and gratitude, they're very distinct from love. I'm grateful to a lot of people I don't love. I can obey people I don't love. And I would certainly disobey people I do love because not everybody I love who is telling me to do something is in my, in my mind, correct. My mother, my friends, even my wife, right? My minister. I would certainly weigh up everything something told, somebody told me. And, and as a friend, I would hope to goodness that I would... Uh, one who loves somebody, I would disobey them if I thought that what they were saying was was not correct. So obedience and love may or may not go together, but they're certainly not the same thing. And I think it's just our inability to say, okay, what does this actually look like? What do some of these things look like? What do they pan out to be in real world terms?
Ever since I could go on forever here, I think I've already have gone on too long. <laughs> how, how do we? Any? I'm trying yeah, to think well, of back how to, to you. I'm trying to think of how to wrap it up. Well, you. What do you think? I mean, does any of that? So you've raised some real concerns, and this sparked me. But I don't know if anything that I've said. I think it responded. just helps me. It helps me feel more comfortable with why I didn't, why I was having a hard time accessing this article. Hmm. Well, it would be interesting for me to, for me to hear, you know, again, one of the, one of the questions you might, maybe you could ask based on that last paragraph of the article you read is, well, what does it look like? What, what would you be satisfied with? When would you be dissatisfied? You know, how many years of you going on in your Christian life and things, you know, quote unquote, not working out or quote unquote, no transformation taking place, would you accept before you said, I think there's a problem here? whether with me or with God or with this whole belief set. That's kind of where I'm at. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's kind of ironic. <laughs> it, yes, but I'm wondering if you could ask that to other people in the group. Oh, I'm asking it of myself. I know, but I think everybody should be asking themselves that. But it is kind of interesting. No, I, I mean, in, in an ironic way that, yes, I'm not satisfied with all the time and stuff that I've put in. In other words, I'm not satisfied with my quote transformation. Mm. And as a result, I on a lot of days feel like I've just given up and I don't care anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's why doing the podcast in the state of, I don't care anymore. It feels like I'm faking it or I'm a poser or I'm just kind of like Mm. just trying to keep the podcast alive. Mm -hmm. And, I don't want to keep the podcast alive to keep the podcast alive. Right. I want to be an authentic person with integrity that has something to say that's helpful to people. Right. That maybe helps them untangle these things in these areas because I've been able to untangle it myself and I don't feel like I've been able to do that yet. Okay, so maybe we should have another podcast on this because my assessment of your skill level and your ability and what you've been able to do is sounds like it's much higher than your own. Okay, that's very possible. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, I guess the other thing too is I don't don't feel happy or content. I think the difference might be is that oftentimes I find when, when things really get bad, you know, and I should be doing it more often when they're not quite so bad, but they really get bad. And I'll have a, you know, screaming match with God. And it's hard to say, but, but on a very basic level, you know, something happens. Something shifts. You know, I'm pissed off about the, the church group. And all of a sudden I've got this guy who seems the least likely to appreciate anything I'm saying, saying, man, I've just been so looking forward to, I look forward to every Sunday morning and da 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 It's so <laughs> great to have you. And Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah it is. And I, I didn't say it, but it, it, I, I, you know, I just rail on God a little bit and say, hey, you know, if this is uh, of any use, then you're going to have to let me know because I, I'm not reading people's minds here. And then the whole thing about all these lyrics that just come to me, you know, like I'm not a songwriter. So th- what is this? This is God's sense of humor, I guess. Okay, Greg, you want better music? Here you go. It's yours. <laughs> <laughs> you go figure out the tune. Here's some lyrics for you. You do what you can. And yeah, I know you got to go. All right. 
Thanks, Johnny. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Untangling Christianity podcast. A summary and resources for this episode are at our website, untanglingchristianity.com. If you'd like to join our private Facebook group or reach us by email, send your requests, questions, or even a simple hello to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is provided by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license.